All right, I want to start our time, my sermon this morning, by telling you a story um, of two ladies that, that I know. Um, one day, Suzanne and I, when we were living in a different city, pastoring a different church, we were at a, um, the township hall on a Saturday afternoon in fall, and we were there for one reason. It was real spiritual. The township was giving away free bike helmets for your kids. And so uh, um, we were up in, in Marquette. Matter of fact, the Marquette Township Hall. we got some other youpers here and, uh, today. And uh, uh, we were at the Marquette Township Hall, and we were standing in line um, going to get free bike helmets. And so was a lot of other people in the community. As we're standing in line waiting, if you know me at all, I, I tend to talk to people. And... Uh, and so I was, believe it or not, I was talking to the lady in front of me with my wife. And so I'm calling on a conversation with her, and her name was Shelly, I came to find out. And we're talking to Shelly. And uh, she had her kids with her, and we had our kids with us. And, and so we're talking just about life in general. And I never tell people what I do for a job. You know, they, they never look, they, no one ever looks at me and thinks I'm a pastor. They always think I'm something else. So I let them think that because they talk about real life instead of talking about world peace to me. You know, that's what they normally do. They say, you know, it's like, oh, the world stinks and the Packers are horrible. And you're a pastor? Oh, I've been praying for Israel. You know, and that's about the way it happens every time. So I didn't, don't let them know who I am. And so we're talking to Shelly. We're talking about kids. And um, she's talking about some problems that she was having raising her kids. And I said, you know what? I got an idea for you. You ought to come to the church I go to. You ought to come on a Wednesday night program and bring your kids to the program. I think you'd really like it. I think your kids would get something because she does some parenting stuff. And I said, I said, there's some really good programs there. I think you'd really enjoy it. Well, um, she listened. A couple weeks later, she comes to church. She brings her two kids. And so she's coming into a group of people she doesn't know at all from Adam. Some guy, you know, husband and wife, put some kids who are, you know, neighbors in the community, didn't know her from being a neighbor, met her though because we're in the same township. Had invited her, and she came, so she was very nervous about letting her kids in the program. So what she did is she went and she sat in the program for, for young kids um, in her kids' classroom uh, for week after week after week. And uh, I'd say to her, when she figured out for a little while I was a pastor, um, that uh, I would say to her, Shelly, why don't you come to the adult class? No, no, no. And what it really was is I don't trust you people, and um, I'm going to watch my kids. Well, God had a plan in it. Because as she sat in the kids' class week after week after week, eventually something started to happen. And she started realizing that what they were talking to the kids about, she needed in her life. And in time, she recognized that she needed Jesus in her life, and, and she gave her heart to Christ. matter of fact, I got to baptize Shelly. Um, and she gave her heart to Christ and became part of the church. Well, Shelly was really you know, transformed, and, and, and she came to those classes, and she had a, a, a best friend in the world named Cindy. And in time, she invited Cindy. And Cindy, uh, you know, after some prompting, Cindy came to church with her. And uh, Cindy began to attend the different things at the congregation. And in time, and Cindy had two teenagers, and, and Shelly brought her kids, and Cindy brought her kids. And in time, Cindy understood that she needed Christ in her life, and I had the privilege of baptizing Cindy, and she gave her heart to Jesus. And she became a vital part of the church. And their kids became part of the church. And uh, in time, they began to in, invite other people into the congregation. And those people began to meet Jesus. You say, why are you telling us a story about a couple of ladies um, who don't live around here? And the reason is this. Their story illustrates today what I want to uh, talk about as we are continuing this uh, three-week series focus that we're doing on being a church that brings people to Jesus. And their story really illustrates 
um, and it brings focus to something that, that I think that we need to, to pay attention to. Their story um, tells us, really shows us a couple of things, two in particular that I want us to get a hold of today. And uh, things that I hope will become part of the DNA of who we are as a congregation. And the first thing their story talks about and shows for us today is this. That for a church to be a place where people come to meet Jesus, it needs to be a place where people are bringing those who don't know Jesus to their church. Who people are intentionally standing at the township hall and, and interacting with a stranger or even a friend and saying, you know what, I think I know some place that can help you in your life. Because you know what I found out, friends, God really can help everybody. He's got the answers, doesn't he? And God's place and his plan for changing the world is the local church. He didn't give any other, any other way to do it. He said, I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And he has created the local church as the way, as his avenue for, for changing the world. And for a church to be this place where people come to know Jesus, it needs to be a place that is filled with people who are regularly bringing people who don't know Jesus with them to church. You see, at Portview, we need to create a culture of bringing, of bringing people with us. I want you to ask yourself this question. I in no way mean this to be a judgmental question or one to make you feel bad. I just want you to think about this. Ask yourself the question, when was the last time you brought someone to church who didn't know Jesus? When was the last time somebody was sitting in the pew next to you that you had a part in bringing into the, into the service who you thought, today may be the day that they, that they come to know Christ? When was the last time? You see, this is what I found out about life. Generally, people who need Jesus do not come walking up to the church on Monday morning, knock on the door, say, uh, Darlene, is the pastor in? You know, because her name's on the thing there, Darlene, is the pastor in? You know, why would you like to talk to him? I would like to give my life to Jesus Christ. Doesn't normally happen. Not saying it can't happen. Doesn't say it never happened, but it almost never um, happens. But Shelly and Cindy, it wasn't that complicated. We invited Shelly to church where she met Jesus. She brought her kids, and then she, as their lives began to change, she invited Cindy, who was her best friend, to church, where she met Jesus, and she brought her kids in um, so they could meet Jesus, and then they began to bring other people with them. And one thing I found about church friends is that every single one of us can be a bringer. And the Bible, you know, the Bible includes stories for a reason. The Bible isn't just, you know, some willy-nilly set of things that God decided to put down in the, in the pages. But there's, there's um, the information he has in here for a reason. And sometimes he includes stories that you may read and say, well, why is it important enough to put that in the book? Well, grab your Bibles and turn with me to the book of 1 John. I'm not 1 John, John, rather, the Gospel of John, chapter 1. And the Bible is going to talk about this very simple principle of bringing. And it's just going to tell it as a kind of a, as a, a matter of fact, kind of how it happened in the middle of a story. It just says something that, that says, you know what, this is the way God um, builds his kingdom. John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, starting in verse 40, it's going to talk about a guy named Andrew. Everybody know who Andrew is? Andrew is the brother of Peter. We know who Peter is, right? Andrew's kind of the forgotten brother. Peter we all know about because he's the pillar of faith, kind of right-hand man of Jesus. But Andrew is his brother. And in verse 40, it's talking about how Andrew, before this, Andrew and Peter are followers of John the Baptist. And they have this encounter where they understand that, that John the Baptist is letting them know, no, this is the right guy to follow, Jesus. And in chapter 1, verse 40, it says this. It says, one of the two who heard John speak, that's John the Baptist, followed him, which is him as Jesus. 
He was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he found first his own brother, Simon, who was Peter, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which translated means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. You say, Why would you read that? Because it really illustrates what should be a normal part of our everyday life. When Andrew met Jesus, remember he's a follower of John, and he meets Jesus, and he understands that this is the one John's been talking about, he's going to come. The first thing it says he did is he runs and he gets his brother Peter, and he brings him to Jesus, and he introduces him. And he says, you know what, what I found, I found the one. That's what it says. I said, I have found the one. We have found the Messiah. And the first thing he did is he got his brother by the hand, and he said, come on, let's go meet this one that I found. Let's go meet the Messiah. And what amazing things God did through Peter. Imagine if Andrew had met Jesus and had never then gone and said, I'm going to go find my brother and tell him, come on, I've I've met the Messiah. But he said, I've met Jesus, Andrew, and he begins to celebrate and be all excited and be happy. And he begins to meet the little group of followers of Jesus and they have a wonderful time together. They celebrate, they they baptize, they, they they eat a lot. Because what churches do. You know, they, they do all this stuff. They even put roofs on houses. But he never goes and gets Peter, his brother, and says, Come on, I have found the Messiah. Well, you know what? The pages of history would look a whole lot different. Because Peter's a big part of what God did. Friends, we can all be bringers. You know, that's all Suzanne and I did with the lady in the line. We simply invited her and said, Well, well come on along with us to this place where we think you can find some help. You know, and that's all Shelley did to Cindy, is she simply said, you know what, I found something that's made a difference in my life. Why don't you come with me? And here's the deal, you know, when Shelley invited Cindy, you know why Shelley, why Cindy could, would come? She trusted her, because you're a friend. She said, if it's good for you, I bet you it's good for me. But there's something that I've come to understand in this whole idea of winning people to Christ. It's something that... that um, I think maybe some of you need to, to, to understand this. It's going to bring you a sense of freedom in your life, and it's this. There is a great deal of difference between being an evangelist, an evangelist, we think of her evangelist or evangelizing as somebody who reaches lost people, somebody who doesn't know Christ yet. There's a big deal of difference between being an evangelist and being involved in evangelism. You see, the Bible says that some people are specially gifted by the Holy Spirit as evangelists. Especially gifted by God to go out and preach the gospel to lost people who have not heard the gospel and to bring them to conversion, to a place where they meet Jesus. And the Bible, we've referred to it earlier jokingly, the Bible tells stories about guys like uh, Philip, who was a deacon in the early church. And it says he was Philip and he was, a de- and he was an evangelist. And it, said, it tells a story about him, it tells a couple of stories, but one of the stories is pretty amazing. One time he's, he's just kind of sitting there and God says to him, go down to this certain road in the desert and you're going to find a guy there and then minister to him. And he's there and he, he finds a chariot going by. And remember, anybody remember who's in the chariot? The Ethiopian eunuch. And the Ethiopian eunuch, he's a leader in Ethiopia and he's reading the scroll, he's reading Isaiah, and he's reading it out loud and, and Philip, the evangelist, runs up next to the thing and he says, do you know what you're reading? And he goes, no, how can I understand it if nobody explains it to me? He says, come on up in the chariot. And he crawls in the chariot. And it says, Philip begins to explain to him all that he was reading. And they drive by some water. Remember what Philip says? He goes, what keeps me from being baptized? 
He told him the whole story. He said, and if you want to come to Christ, what you do then is the sign of it is you get baptized. And he says, what stops me? And, and he says, nothing. And so they, they stop the chariot and the Ethiopian eunuch and Philip get out and they go down into the water and he baptizes them. And remember what happens next? It's pretty amazing. They come up out of the water and it says God takes Philip and takes him to a different place. You know, he's just gone. They get up and he said they see him no more. And he ends up in a different spot. You know, that's better than any, uh, any high-speed rail. <laughs> you know, whatever you think about it. It's better than that. Boom. Um, um, you know, he was an evangelist. These folks who are evangelists, remember, that it's a gift of the Holy Spirit. These are the people who lead people to Jesus at the grocery store. They lead Jesus to, to people to Jesus at the doctor's office. You know, um, and, and, and you know what? I found something about the church world. I found that there's not a lot of people who have that special calling and gifting. And guess what? I don't have it. I'm not an evangelist. People say, oh, but pastor, you've told stories, you've led a lot of people to Jesus. I'm not a gifted evangelist. I just figured out how to be a bringer. That's all I am. You don't have to be an evangelist, friends, to be involved in evangelism. You don't have to be an evangelist to be involved in bringing people to Jesus. Because one of the most effective things any of us can do to help lead someone to Jesus is simply bringing them to church. And there's a reason for it. Because when you bring them in a place like this, where they see the reality of Jesus in the lives of people. Did anybody force you to come here today? No. You came because you wanted to. And you're, and you're smiling, you're saying Jesus is real, and you're applauding when people are saying, we're becoming part of the family. When somebody comes in, they say, they go, there's something very real here. And they experience the reality of God and His transforming power in the body of Christ. One of the most effective things you can ever do to help somebody come to meet Jesus is simply bring them to church. You see, one of my primary objectives as the pastor when I lead a church service or I structure the church is that I try to create opportunities for people to encounter God. That's why I pray that all the time. God, help us to to experience you, to encounter God, and then give them a chance to respond to the Holy Spirit's call in their lives. Whether it's somebody who's met Jesus a hundred years ago or somebody who hasn't met Him yet, my goal is to create an environment where we experience God, and then we we can then have an opportunity to respond to what the Holy Spirit's calling us in our lives. That's my job. That's that's my mission in my role. But you want to know something? One of your jobs, one of your missions in the kingdom of God, you know this, when, you become, when you've been baptized and you're part of the kingdom, God's got some work for you to do. He's got some responsibility for you. All because He loves you and all because He wants to use you, all because He wants to bless you, but He's got some responsibility. And, and one of all of our primary jobs in the kingdom of God, not part of, I'm not talking about Portview Church here. I'm talking about you being a member of the kingdom. One of the primary jobs of being part of the kingdom is to bring people with you into this spiritual environment so that they can encounter the Lord also. That they can have what, what Peter had because Andrew said, you know what, time out friends. Um, I found him, but instead of just following him, I'm going to go back and get my brother and say, come on. It's what, it's what Shelley did. That she said, you know, I found this and it's changed my life and it transformed her life. But I'm not going to keep it to myself. But she went and got Cindy. And I'm sure she in her private, she told her about Jesus, but what she really did is you got to come to where I found it. And she took her by the hand she brought her. Friends, you know what I found out? Anybody can be an Andrew. Anybody can be a Shelley. Anybody can be a Cindy. What an opportunity that every one of us have, that every one of you have. God can use you to bring someone uh, to the place where their entire life's path is changed for the better. They go from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. 
They go from hell to heaven. And we get to be part of the process of being bringers and bringing people to that place, being a link in the chain that God uses to rescue a person who does not yet know him. And friends, when we do that, what a payoff we get. I'm not saying we do it for that, but what a payoff we get. I promise you, friends, there is nothing else in this world that you can invest your energy into that will bless you more than being part of the chain of events that God uses to bring someone to Christ himself. There's nothing that will bless you more. What joy we get when we can look at someone and say this. You know what I was thinking when I prepared this message? I was a little leery about using my illustration. Because Pastor Paul tells me that the place where the most hits on our website are for the sermons that I preach aren't in Port Washington. You know where they are? They're in Marquette, Michigan. <laughs> he said, all the people back there listen to my sermons every week. He goes, every, he says, it shows a map. He goes, this whole place listens to all your sermons. And I was a little worried because I think Shelly and Cindy are going to listen to the sermon. So Shelly and Cindy, if you hear this, uh, we love you. Um, but you know what a joy it is when I look at them and I say, I remember going to the township hall. If I wouldn't have been able to invite her to church, I would never even remember the fact that I went to the township hall and got a bike helmet. Matter of fact, I had to call Suzanne on the phone and say, why again were we at the township hall? I can picture it in my mind. I can picture the day. I can picture what it was like outside. But I said, why were we there? I said, something with bicycles. And she said, oh, (laughs) we were poor, and they were giving out free bike helmets. That's why we went. I said, oh, that's right. I wouldn't even remember the event if the event had not culminated in her coming and then her coming to Christ and her inviting somebody else. Friends, what joy in your life you get when you can look at somebody and say, I remember when. When this happened and that happened. I remember when you came to church and you met Jesus. I remember when your spouse was so, so put off by it and then your spouse eventually met Christ and oh, how your marriage has been transformed. I remember your kid was, was messed up and they came in and met Jesus and they're not doing drugs anymore and they're not disrespectful anymore and, and your family dynamic is so much better. I remember when. When you get to look at somebody and say that, I remember when you were bound by those, those strongholds in your life. And God came and set you free. Friends, it brings more true joy into your life than anything else ever ever will. And I'll promise you this. Every single one of us can be a bringer. You know what person in my life has brought more people into the, you know, been part of three churches. More people into those three churches than anybody else combined totally. I don't think he's not in here. I don't want to embarrass him. Oh, he's doing children's church today. My son, Josh. Josh, when he was a little kid, He'd ask, my, he'd ask Suzanne, will you write me a note? New, new family neighborhood. I want to I invite them people to church. And so she'd write down Wednesday, 6.30, Sunday, whatever, kids' church, these ages. And he'd walk up and knock on the door and say uh, to the new kids, you know what? You want to go to church with me? I'm like, that's not going to work. <laughs> they would. <laughs> they would. Is Bev in here? Bev Miller. Bev Miller. You in here, Bev? Bev's family's come to meet Jesus, some of them, because of Josh inviting them. Her grandson came to Christ that way. And then dad, and then mom, and then sister. From a kid, inviting a kid to church. Any one of us can be a bringer. You know what? He couldn't answer the theological question when he was this big. Who's Jesus? I don't know, that guy my dad talks about. You know? That's about all he knew at the time. But you know what he knew as a kid? He knew the most wonderful place in the world was church. I met somebody the other day, and I forget who it was. They were, they were walking out of the church last Sunday, and they're, they're, it was, they're, no, it was Wednesday night. I think it was the Kotechis. And one of their girls, I said, how was the day going? She said, oh, she was so excited because today was church day. 
And I said, oh, my whole life, I used to drive me nuts. Every day the kids get out of bed and say, is it church day? Is it church day? Is it church day? I'd be like, no, it's Monday. You know, next morning, is it church day? Is it church day? Because they love church. This should be the greatest place on the planet. And friends, it is. It is. It's the greatest place to be. And when you get the joy of knowing that you brought somebody into the kingdom of God, and one of the ways that works is you bring them into the church family. So, we can all be bringers. Now, at the beginning of our, of our uh, sermon this morning, I said that there were two things that we could learn from Shelley and Cindy's story. The first one is that we can all be bringers. You know, that's all it was. It was nothing great. It was, matter of fact, here's the deal. It didn't cost a dime. It didn't cost any money. It wasn't some great huge program. It was just saying, we've got to invite people. That was the first thing. The second thing that we learned from their story is this. And this one's important for every single one of us. We, don't, don't lose me this morning. How we act when we get together here at church will determine if someone meets Jesus in this place. How we act when we get together here will determine how, if a person meets Jesus in this place. You see, Shelley and Cindy, um, I had the privilege of bringing them to a wonderful, healthy church church family that was filled with love and unity. They met wonderful people who modeled Christian character. They found love and acceptance. And when they came into their family, they just said, man, I've, I've come home. I think they thought they went to heaven. They had lived some kind of tough lives. And they met something totally different. Understand something, friends. People come to Christ when they encounter the Holy Spirit drawing them, pulling them. But that can be derailed when Jesus' followers don't act like Jesus. Now, I'm not saying we're not. I think we do a pretty good job of it. But I want to encourage us to keep it up, and I want to encourage us to even get better. Who knows who, who Gandhi is? Gandhi? Mahatma Gandhi? Hindu, peace, lover, um, world leader. This is his honest opinion about Christianity. He said, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. A guy looked at Christianity as a whole, and he said, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Friends, what a terrible and often truthful evaluation of the church. Christian people being so unlike Christ. Friends, one of the things that God uses to draw a person to himself is the person's interaction with a genuine church where Christians do act like Christ. When someone comes into this place and finds it to be a place filled with love and unity and acceptance and grace, they experience something that they have never experienced before in the world that is filled with lust and hate. They come into this place and they go, there's something different. Friends, not only does God want to use all of us to bring people in, but he also wants to use us to reveal his reality through a church family that is so unlike the world around it. A place marked by love and unity and grace and acceptance. And friends, this is what Jesus prayed for you and me. Grab your Bible and turn to the Gospel of John. Chapter 17. You remember you can see something you've never saw before. I bet you some of you have read this text before and you go, I didn't really realize that before. John chapter 17, when Jesus was praying for his church, it's called the high priestly prayer, this whole section of the gospel of John, and he prays for his church. He prays for some very specific things. And he's praying here, it says, for all those who would follow the message of the disciples. So it's you and me. In John chapter 17, verses 22 and 23, he says this. 
Remember, this is Jesus. We've got a red-letter Bible. It's in red. Jesus himself praying to the Father, and he prays this prayer. The glory which you have given me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. He's Trinity. He's saying unity, unity, just like the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We may be one, united, just as we are one. Him, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Verse 23, I in them and you and in you and me, that they may be perfected in unity. Now watch this. So that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. Look at what it says there. He prays for unity. He said that we'd be perfected in unity. And he says exactly, he said, and this is why I pray it. So that the world may know that the Father had sent him. Friends, our unity, our love, reveals the reality of Jesus to a world around him because it's so much different than what the world has. Think about that. Think about this for a second. This will change your life. Jesus said that if we are united, if we are one, then that would show the world that the Father had really sent Christ into the world. Friends, how we act towards one another affects how people see God. You want to know something? That's why we crawled up on a roof this last couple of days and we roofed a house. That's the reason why we roofed Judy's house. So that we are functioning in love and functioning in unity and functioning together, helping each other. And the world would look on and would say, I can't believe they're doing that. You mean no one's getting paid? And the world looks at it and says there's something different about those people. Friends, if we are going to be a church where people come to know Jesus, then we need to be a church filled with love and unity and acceptance and grace. And how we act towards one another really is that important to God working through us. Because people are watching. That's the message that Jesus is praying in John 17. You know, I would hope that if Gandhi walked in the doors of Portview Church, that this is what he'd shout. He'd say, I finally found it. I finally found the place. I found the place where Jesus' followers act like Jesus. Where those Christians act like Christ, I finally found it. It's on top of the hill overlooking the lake in Port Washington, Wisconsin. Y'all got to come because it's happening here. That's what I believe. That's what I want to happen in this place. And I believe we're on the right path. Friends, the Apostle Paul had something to say about this to the church in the, in, in the city of Ephesus. He was writing about that unity that the church family should have, that the family of God should have this sense of great love and unity. And he, he wrote this in Ephesians chapter 4, about that love and unity. Pay attention. It says, starting in verse 1, it says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Friends, he said there's a certain way we ought to live if we've been called and come to Christ. Verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as also you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. The Apostle Paul, this whole context, he's talking about the way the church should function, the unity that should exist. And he says that we are to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. In other words, the way we can walk that's unworthy of our calling. And he said, you know what? Act different 
Waxman men are worthy of your calling. And he says, here's some ways that that should be expressed in the local church family when you get together with one another. He says it should be a place of humility. He says it should be a place of gentleness. He says it should be a place of patience and tolerance and love. He says that's what the church family should look like. Humility and gentleness and patience and tolerance and love. And especially us men, guess what? We need to redefine what it means to be a man. Now you know what? A man, you ought to, you know, if you can, if you've got the physical ability and the time worked out, crawl up on a roof and rip off shingles. You know, we grunt and we scratch and we say, ah, we're men. Right? But you know what should define us? We should be people of humility and gentleness and patience and tolerance and love. And sometimes those two don't go hand in hand, but they need to. One of the most powerful tools God uses to bring people into this kingdom is a church of love and unity and grace and acceptance. Where people, it says, are patient and gentle towards one another, not angry and harsh. Where we tolerate in love, and it's so important, it's talking about the body. You know, you think God knows what's going on? You think He knew when He put us all together, totally dissimilar people, there'd be a little bit of friction? You think He understood that? He says, love's the oil that keeps the gears running. He says, we need to be a place where in, we tolerate one another in love. There's a tolerance in love of those things about another person that might drive you a little bit crazy. Guess what? You spend any amount of time with me, there's things I do that can drive you nuts. Ask my wife. She's not here today. She's at her grandfather's funeral. But if she was here, ask her. There's some things that drive her, drive her a little bit crazy. He says in the church world, we should, be, we should tolerate each other in, in love. Even though somebody drives you a little bit crazy. Why? Because they're a brother and sister in Christ. And you know what one of the biggest mistakes we make in the church world or in the family is? Something drives us a little bit nuts. Somebody takes a little bit of extra grace to get around. You know what we do? We say this. I just won't. I know how to handle it. I want to get angry. I just won't talk to them. I'll just keep my distance. Friends, doesn't do any good. It does a lot of harm. He wants us to learn to tolerate each other in love, which means, guess what? We accept each other and say, you know what? That might not be the way I'd do it, but that's okay. I love you because you're a brother or sister in Christ. We need to be a place where in humility we all recognize that we, what we are, what we've accomplished is really not just because of us. It's because of what God's done. That's what humility is. Humility is understanding who really got you where you've been. It's not about me that I'm so great or you're so great. It's about he's so great and he's poured out his blessings. And friends, when he pours out his blessings, you know why he really pours blessings on top of us? So that we'll pour them out to somebody else. He didn't give us so we just hoard them all. He didn't give us so we stand up and say, look at me, I'm so wonderful, or look what I've accomplished, or look what I've, what I've accumulated. He says, no, and humility says, it's not really for me anyways. And he gave it to me so I can just give it away. That's what humility is all about. Friends, we are God's display of the very real effect he can have in the lives of people. That's why he said, Jesus prayed, I pray that they'll be perfected in unity then the world will believe that you sent me. Because if we act that way, we are God's display of the very real effect he can have in the lives of people. He says, let's walk in a manner worthy of our calling. Friends, how do we become a church that is used greatly of God to reach lost people? We'd be a bringer. And then when we come together, we act in love and unity, we display Christ in our lives. So the people we bring in go, oh my goodness, they're a lot different than the people I work with. They're a lot different. They're kinder. They're more loving. They're more tolerant. 
but gracious. That's what God has for us. That's walking in a manner worthy of our calling. Does that make sense, friends? Would you stand with me this morning?